Hey, 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 Closet Busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, Bold Move Expert and Coming Out Coach, and I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step in to living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. It is time once again for us to step out of those closets, make our bold moves, and be exactly who we are. And today, you know what? Sometimes those bold truths come from the mouths of babes and children. And sometimes those mouths of babes and children are older children who finally discover the truth of who someone is. And I can tell you as a guy who came out at age 36, when my children were old enough to really understand everything, there were a lot of truths I started, um, well, really coming clean with my kids. And because I have two daughters myself, today's guest really spoke to me. Her name is Stephanie Sandella. And what I love about what she's done in her forthcoming memoir is she's talking about herself and her daughter's truth, her own being the daughter of a man who really came out of the closet in an era when this wasn't, this wasn't what was acceptable. It was right at the beginning of the HIV AIDS epidemic. And there was so much that transpired so much healing and movement that came through her relationship with her father. And I thought what better kind of story to have than something that shows some gratitude, some thankfulness, some challenges and all of this stuff as we enter into the Thanksgiving season. So Stephanie, I feel really blessed to have you here today, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm really thankful, too, to be here and to be able to talk about my family um, in a really loving and joyful and grateful way. And I think you just hit on something that (laughs) it can be hard to do that. Because as your families go through these journeys, whether it's coming out of the closet sexually or different things that happen to us in our family dynamics, from cancer to divorces for other reasons to losing family members, sometimes we forget the gratitude piece. But um, before we can really step into how you came into this space and started to begin to have this new dynamic relationship with your dad, Let's kind of roll back. So dad was married, you had come into the world, and it wasn't really until you were like preteen that things began to come clear to you, right? That's right. Um, So my parents uh, were originally from the Midwest, from Davenport, Iowa, and uh, they uh, found themselves very young uh, with already two children. I'm the youngest of three. And... um, they were living in San Francisco. And um, it was about the time that uh, I was conceived and born that my, what I say is my dad was stepping into his authenticity. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was in 1965, a very different time. And um, it was, uh, I think, confusing for uh, everyone, uh, for my mom and my dad. Um, They, they were, like I said, they were very young, They already had a family. Um, So they realized that um, San Francisco was not the place for them um, if they wanted to continue to sort of 
grow their family. Um, they moved back to Iowa, but divorce was imminent. And, um, and so fast forward uh, then to my early teens, when I was 13, I think before that I had an inclination that my father was gay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we, we lived with my mom, we would visit my dad and my dad had a room, he had a roommate mm-hmm. and um, a lovely, sweet man. But you sort of know when you know that, you know, um, he, he sort of walked in the shadows. Uh, he he mm-hmm. respectfully gave us space, but he came to the dinner table every night. And, um, and so when I was 13, I discovered it, you know, I'm, I'm looking for clues and I'm seeing things in their house. And, and I realized that he's a gay man, mm-hmm. but I am living in Davenport, Iowa. He lived about an hour and a half away in Cedar Rapids. I'm okay. living in Davenport, Iowa in a, in a church going community. And I don't know what to do with this. I have mm. nowhere to turn. I don't have a community. Yep. And if I say it out loud, it'll really be real. And I don't want it to be real because I don't, it's confusing. I don't know what to do with it. And um, I'm worried about backlash. I'm worried about my friends, my family, my community, and what would, how they would look at me, how they would look at my family. Um, and I loved my dad. He was, if I put that gay piece out of my head and out of my heart, yeah. he was my hero. Mm-hmm. And because dads are supposed to be heroes and he was definitely a hero for me. I mean, he was so fun. He was loving. Um, he was everything that I wanted in a dad until I realized he was gay mm-hmm. um, because I didn't have, I didn't, society didn't make a place for that. Right. So I'm curious, you brought up this piece um, that, in, you know, for your parents, San Francisco wasn't the place. And by leaving, divorce was inevitable. So it sounds like your mom knew at that point, or was she unaware, but just there was this divide of, okay, we're, this just isn't working out. So um, she did know, uh, I, I don't believe she knew before they moved to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some things happened over yeah. the years. There's been very little that we've talked about. Um, my parents were very private. I yeah. think just generationally people were very private. Absolutely. I, and we, I was raised to respect that and I, and I still do. Um, but there have been a few conversations that yes, um, you know, my dad was dipping his toe in the water. Right. And, um, and that felt right for him. And I think, I know he didn't know what to do with that. And, um, and so, uh, yes, there was a confrontation and, um, and at that point, I believe she said, you know, she's got these small children, mm-hmm. including myself at that point that I'm literally months old and, uh, they needed to go back to Iowa and try to salvage the life. Yeah. And, you know, this is very common and I'm sure as you, you've, you know, grown through this and, you know, come to your own space with it, that especially in that era, um, people didn't know what to do with this stuff. They wouldn't recognize it. They wouldn't talk about it for sure. And even if a spouse, male or female, you know, found out about this, uh, because of the era we lived in, it was... No, you just don't, you don't say anything. Now I know some people get angry and you know, that sort of stuff. Whereas roll forward to today, and especially I've noticed since I've been doing this work, 
that people are more vocal. Um, they do talk about it. They, they sometimes use it as a weapon <laughs> against the other person, but it is such a different space. And when you roll back to those, you know, that decade, the 70s, 80s, and so on through there, it's not surprising that more people just stayed in. They yeah. stayed in the closets because so, it was so uncomfortable to even talk about it. Well, there was absolutely positively zero support. Yep. So for me, um, and this is mapped out in the writing that I've done, I'm telling you until the last handful of years, I didn't know a soul that was in my position. Mm -hmm. I didn't know a soul who had a gay dad. It didn't mean that it wasn't happening. Right. When I had these conversations uh, again in the last 10 years with my parents, last five, 10 years. And I asked them, you know, why we didn't have the conversations or, um, you know, just sort of poking and prodding for answers. You know, my mom shared, she went to a, a therapist, a psychiatrist and said, okay, how, how can I handle this with my children? And uh, they said, don't tell them, do not share it don't tell them. So not only don't support it, but again, there's this keep pretending, keep those secrets, which mm -hmm. as we know can be so toxic and, um, uh, and, and just come, come out and manifest in other ways. Um, as for my father, uh, he, he was religious, he was Catholic and, um, he knew not to go to a priest because, and he shared this, these are his words. If he went to a priest, they would say, just ignore those feelings. Mm -hmm. And when he went to a therapist, um, they would ba basically map it out that, well, maybe it was your mother that, that caused you to do this. Maybe it was your wife that caused this to you to, mm -hmm. to be this way. And he knew that that wasn't, that that wasn't what was causing this or it's who he was. And so he wasn't finding the answers slash the support that he needed. And, um, and so, yeah, it's very different. And I think, I think that today um, the, the platform that I stand on is that today, yes, things have changed and yes, we have made inroads, but oftentimes I have deep conversations with dear friends and they'll say, you know, Stephanie, you keep doing this work and you're doing this writing and what's the big deal? Everybody's right. out. Everybody's getting married. <clears throat> like, you know, move on. And I, to that, I say, I have children. I am now, a, you know, I am not, I've now lived in three generations of this mm -hmm. and I can still feel it and I yep. see it and experience it. And the conversation still needs to be had because even the conversations that aren't being had, they're not always appropriate. Right. Um, so I think there's still, as a daughter of a gay man, um, I've, I've sat with other gay dad kids and mm -hmm. in communion, we say, this work still needs to be done. The conversation mm -hmm. still needs to be had. Well, it's, a, it's, you know, we talk about toxic masculinity. <laughs> I see this as toxic homophobia because. Absolutely. If we don't address the elephant in the room, then it never gets addressed. And when people say, oh, why do you do this? I get the question all the time. It's because. All you have to do 
is read the headlines when suddenly 300 people go after the Catholic Church for this sort of stuff, when a politician suddenly comes out of the closet, when people are adamantly hateful towards homosexuality, gays, lesbian, bi's, trans, I can guarantee you many, many, many of those people are struggling with their own innate homosexuality, being lesbian, being bisexual, whatever it is, because there's this piece of yourself that you're so tired of hiding. I'm not saying everybody who does that, that's Mm -hmm. what the problem is. But I discover this more and more, and I... I deal with people even at a young age these days that I will get a call, you know, yeah, I I really think I need to work on this coming out. Great. How old are you? I'm 24. Cool. Why do you feel so compelled right now? Well, because I'm engaged to get married and I think I need to do this. This is still happening folks because we feel as a society, as much good has been done. We are far, far, far from this being the norm and people getting beyond this stuff. And and so when I hear people like you sharing your story and you know, you're, you're an older child of a gay person, I don't think anybody realized the impact of what that feels like. I know because I've raised two. I have my daughters are 23 and 19. Fortunately for them, they were very young when this happened and they have been raised with a very open mind. Thank God to myself and my husband and my ex-wife, but that's not always the case. That's and right. Why those stories need to be told. I, I have to say, so Rick, I, I listened to the podcast that um, you conducted with your daughters and it was mm-hmm. beautiful. And um, there's another woman, Glennon Doyle Melton, yeah, and yeah. Uh, she's very vocal and when I see and hear and listen to people like you all, I think, um, I wish I would have had that. I wish that I wish that I lived in a place and time that I could have been open, mm-hmm. that we could have all been open, um, because the the other side of open is being isolated. Yes, and I. I had so much, um, so much love for my dad. I covered things up for him. I lived with this responsibility as a child of uh, a gay man um, because I didn't want that image to be ruined for him. Yet then the burden, if you will, was put on me. I put it on myself. Um, but it also is about community and about society and that I had the need to do that. And so therefore, after decades of doing this, I'm not able to transform into the person that I'm supposed to be because I'm constantly trying to cover up in conversations. I want to create this image that my father was who he was. And, um, but yet I don't want the conversation to delve into, oh, so how come he never remarried and this, that, and the other thing. And, and then all of a sudden I'm moving to a space with my kids Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and my kids, there are moments, uh, as they grew and they're now a freshman and, and sophomore in college, but I would say there's that middle school place that it yeah. got tricky yeah. that, um, I was creating my story, um, writing and, um, and my son at one point said, um, mom, if you go on Facebook and you start talking about this, I'm worried that someone will see this and could hurt you. 
Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and there were other things that he tripped into. Um, he was once at camp again, this is in middle school and, uh, and there were some boys in a cabin and they were talking about uh, an uncle who was gay. And there was a boy who said, well, you have to be careful of that uncle because he could rape you. And one of the first things when I picked my son up from, from this camp, he shared this with me just trembling because in our home, we were very open and we spoke about this, but all of a sudden you step into this place, this middle school place where you're aware of your surrounding, you're Mm -hmm. aware of it being safe or not safe Mm -hmm. to have these conversations and we're protecting our family. And so you know, for me, there's so many facets to my story, but in the end, I think it boils down to me telling my truth and me, um, speaking about family that, um, I I recently come to this, this new thought of, um, gay is not singular, it's familiar. Hmm. And so it's a, uh, if you, if you're, if you're gay and you have a partner or not, you have a family. So it's a bigger story that I think it's important people listen to and really begin to embrace, not tolerate, but embrace it. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by what you just said. I want, I'd love to delve into that a little bit further. So when you say gay is not singular, <clears throat> it's familiar. Take us a little bit deeper there. I love the phrase, but I want to make sure people really enjoy where you're coming from. With well, what I think is, I think that oftentimes when, um, I think when people start to have this conversation about what it is to be gay or mm-hmm. what it means or how they associate it, yeah. I think it's really easy to just have this very baseline conversation that gay is black or white. Yep. It is this or this, you, you either are someone, like my dad used to say, you know, honey, he would say, you know, being gay is the same as being straight. That, you know, you're going to meet, if you're straight, some people date people and some people get married. Same thing if you're gay. There, you're going to meet some people that like to date and some people that like to get married have partners. Mm-hmm. And so the point is, is that um, it comes in all shapes and forms. And I think when you start looking at it that way, that it isn't this black and white piece, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's more familiar than we think it is. Yep. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. The more, you know, in the community and there, and there's a lot of, <laughs> there has been over time and, you know, I don't hear it as much, so much now and that gay marriage is, you know, the law of the land, at least knock on wood for now. Um, it was like, well, why do we have to be normal like the heterosexuals? And I'm like, because the more we normalize that there's nothing abnormal about us, mm-hmm. the more accepting things will be. That doesn't mean if you don't want to get married as a gay person or a lesbian, then don't. Yeah. But the more normal, and I, I've experienced this numerous times throughout my life, so um, most of the listeners who listen regularly know I came out at 36, met my husband, um, just, I think it was 38, 39, and my kids were young, and then he became a parental figure, and we, you know, we did stuff together as a family, ex-wife, him, me, kids, and the more I made life normal in every situation, and not just me, 
the more he did, the more my ex-wife did, the less people were like, oh, okay. You know, there was no issue. Now, I know pe- some people had issues. I don't really care because yeah. I wouldn't like throw this in their face, but I wouldn't hide the fact that I was in a gay relationship. And that's where I think you're coming from is it isn't this or this. It's many different things. Yeah. Is waking up in the morning with a partner of the same sex. It's making breakfast together. It's getting kids off to school. It's going to your job and doing your thing and having conversations about what you did on the weekend with your spouse, the same way other people are having that same thing. It's talking about how much challenge you have dating and finding dates as much as the gal next to you or the guy next to you. It's every bit of it is normal except for the one thing we're attracted to the same sex. Mm -hmm. That's about it folks. Yeah. I can be a Christian and be gay. I believe that anyway, I can be an agnostic and be gay. I can be a Buddhist and be gay. All these things that we try to, I believe you can actually even be Catholic and be gay. Cause I have some Catholic friends who are like, yeah, I'm gay and I'm still believe in my faith. You know, even if I'm not, you know, accepted in the church, all of this is about, what you're bringing up, Stephanie, that it's not some singular focus, which too many people try. Oh, you're gay. Oh, that means you like having sex with men. Exactly. It's It's not just that. There's so much more to it. It's not that simple. It's not that singular. It's not that. It would be the same way as me saying, Oh, so, Oh, okay. So Stephanie, you're heterosexual. That means you like men. That's what it means. You're that's it. You're done. You have sex with men. No, (laughs) there's so much more to Stephanie than her being heterosexual. She's many, many other things too. Well, and I also like to, to take it kind of in a different direction and, and maybe just even take that gay piece out and say, because I think that, I think that that traditionally has made people so uncomfortable. It's really getting comfortable with your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this layer of authenticity and, um, and that this is, I was brought to this earth to be this person. Yep. Um, and that may be the color of my hair, who I choose to be in life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so again, it takes it away from just that one singular place yeah. that, that, that I'm, I'm all, there are many facets to me yep. and, oh yeah, by the way, I might be gay or I might be this or that. Exactly. Exactly. So as the years progressed, I know things began to open up for you. You started to see things, but I also know from what you've shared with me before we got on the podcast that it wasn't really until the last few years that things really begin to gel where you're like, okay, I can, I can express some of this and I can and be part of, you know, the bigger conversation. So what was kind of the turning point that really started or, and it may not just be one singular turning point either. But what started well, to really push you forward? Um, so um, I, uh, I moved to Colorado. Mm-hmm. I got my kids comfortable in, uh, from Davenport, Iowa. I lived in Chicago, um, professional, had a professional life, grew my family, mm-hmm. moved to Colorado. And so I got to the span in time when I said, okay, what is next for me? Mm-hmm. And, um, and to be honest, Rick, it was a moment where sort of a light just light bulb went off. And I said, I think I need to start writing and talking about my family. 
and at least truly making some sense and I, sense of it. And I think, you know, when I started really growing my family, maybe I, I've thought about as my kids got older, I started walking through those steps again through them mm-hmm. and, of when I was young. And, um, and I, I didn't want it to be the same for them. I really, I thought, you know, I, I, I took very seriously this responsibility of being a mother and raising kids. And the biggest change I could make would be to switch this dynamic of secrecy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I thought, <laughs> I initially thought, okay, I really, I was charged to tell the story for my dad yeah. and, um, and try to stop some of those injustices that I was seeing and, um, and feeling all those years. And then of course it, I, I felt it for my kids, but in the end it really was for me that mm-hmm. I needed to make sense. And I needed to come out of my own closet of constantly holding tight all of these images, um, and, and, and protecting, mm-hmm. um, because, uh, if I didn't do that, I wasn't going to be able to live this life free, freely. I had given in, I surrendered myself to society. Um, I was letting them create and tell my story. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just learned to tolerate all those things, the hate, the embarrassment, the belittlement um, and found I was impersonating someone other than myself. And so I really needed to tell this story. Um, I went to a class at Iowa city uh, um, through the Iowa Iowa writers workshop. And um, I wasn't a writer by trader by nature. Uh And I wrote an essay and I went to this class and I was scared to death because I could tell you know, in my life, I had told maybe a handful of people. And as I shared this, my instructor, you know, again, this is in Iowa. Yeah. And the instructor said, how many people, um, I want a show of hands, how many people uh, do you think, you know, are, are embracing the story that it resonates with them? And um, is this a communal story? And everyone raised their hand. And I felt in that moment, I had a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that I really had to share this and I didn't know how I was going to do it. And it's taken me a very long time um, and many steps to finding community and tribe, but every step I get closer, I'm so empowered and it's so freeing. Um, and, uh, and the, sh- the, the shame dissipates um, the guilt of holding the secrets for so long dissipates um, and I just stand that much taller. I find it very fascinating and beautiful that what you just walked through, Stephanie, is actually an exact mirror of how your father feels and how anybody who's in the closet hiding their truth of sexuality feels. We feel like we can't find where we belong. We feel like we have to keep hiding these secrets that, that I can't keep going and living this life. And, and if I keep going this way, I'm not living freely. I'm impersonating somebody that I'm not. And as I just sat and listened to you, all the parallels, I was like, yep, 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 yep. And what's so powerful is when I hear a story like yours and we share it with the audience, I hope people are capable of not just hearing, this is about a daughter who had a gay father. This is about a person 
who finally realized for her to be her authentic self, which was tied to her dad being gay, but for her to step fully into her authentic self, she had to go through a coming out journey too. Yep. And this is why I do this podcast because the more people realize every day is a coming out journey. I don't care whether you're gay or straight, bi, whatever. It doesn't really have anything to do with sexuality. It has to do with where are you holding your secrets? Where are you allowing other people to keep you back from doing what you were brought to this earth to do and impersonating someone that you really aren't? Yeah. And I I believe this is the power of when we share stories, somebody somewhere. And I'm sure you felt it in that classroom when everybody said they could relate, they could feel the community, they could see that. You got it then. That's when you got it. That's when you felt it. I did. I mean, I was so filled um, with so many emotions, but I felt supported. Mm-hmm. I really felt supported. And, you know, beyond that, there was an open mic night and everyone said, you've got to go. And I was terrified. And, uh, but I did it. And on the plane ride home, I was just sort of decompressing and kind of unraveling from everything that had happened. And I was sitting again, sort of in my oneness and in my aloneness. And there was a man that was sitting, I had an aisle seat. He was sitting, sitting diagonally. He turned and leaned back and he said, I just want to say to you, I saw you read the other night. And I so appreciate you sharing that it was really a big deal. And I want to thank you. And I, I, again, I just, it was, it, it was continued, continued fuel that I needed to share these stories. Mm-hmm. And I believe because you are, and you continue to push forward. And as you enter into releasing the stories and finding a publisher and everything for the book, that what you're going to find is the more you allow yourself to keep stepping forward and giving yourself that permission to keep going. Not only are you healing yourself in his own way, your father's being healed too. And you're helping to heal the planet because again, this is a bigger message than a gay coming out story and a daughter who had a gay father. That's all part of, but it's just, this is just the mechanism. This is the mechanism for saying We've all got our shit and we've all got our secrets. And the sooner we come out from those things, the more fully and authentically every one of us can live. Yeah. And when we allow each other that beauty to do that, that planet becomes a much better place, at least in my opinion and perspective. Yeah. So I'm curious as we get ready to wrap up here, um, what is the one thing you truly now and it may not be one thing, but one thing that you can truly value from the experience of knowing you went through this with your father, you connected with him at deeper levels, you know, before he passed on, but what's something you are really thankful for that you got from the experience? It is difficult to distill that in in Mm -hmm. one thing. And it doesn't have to be just one, but something. No, that's for sure. I mean, I think, um, I think for me, it's, I came to a place that um, I've had a few dark times in my life where I've 
you know, I, I, I've been in this small space that I just felt like, why me? Why is this happening to me? Kind of thing. Yep. Um, and I really think it comes with age and probably wisdom, but I also think digging your way out of that hole that, that can come sometimes in life that um, instead of the why me, I've kind of come to this place that feeling a bit of a chosen one mm -hmm. that, um, that I'm able, I've been able to turn things around and look at um, the gifts that have been given to me uh, that as I lived through the HIV AIDS era and yep. as my father contracted HIV, I was so grateful for, for the time that um, I got to spend with him, mm -hmm. that um, he responded well to a cocktail of, of drugs and, and he got to be a grandpa mm -hmm. and, um, and it has brought a lot of empathy in my life and in my heart yeah. um, that I look at people differently, um, very openly. And, um, and I get a really strong sense of a family and the respect mm. that, um, that a family is needed. So, um, it's probably multifaceted my yeah. answer here, but, um, no, no, but it's beautiful because there is no one thing. And I always find it intriguing when I get asked that question because we immediately as humans go, okay, well, I got to get to one thing instead of, well, I'm going to share this with you. And what you just shared was, you know, A, that you could see yourself digging out of something that then gave you the ability to flip things around, to see that you actually are here for this purpose as a chosen one. And, and I don't want anybody to think, oh, she thinks she's, <laughs> that's not what yeah, I, no. I took away from that at all. It's like, this yeah. is something I'm called for and called to do. Yeah. And just to be the ability to be able to turn things around like that. And everybody has challenges, but I think there are certain things that some of us are given because we're meant to like, okay, now how do I learn to do this so that that empathy, that openness, that sense of family can be carried forward, not only in your own familial unit, but in the world at large. And I find when people can grasp why they're being given these things and they can really dip into it. And I'm eating my own dog food right now because there's some stuff that all of us go through. But when I step back and allow myself to go, okay, what am I supposed to be learning from this? How can I flip this around? What is it I'm, I'm, I'm destined to figure out so that I can then share it? That's when we really get, at least I believe, what our journey here on the earth is all about. And yeah. you've shown this in such a beautiful way. So, um, so the book is um, hopefully going to be coming out soon. We've got to find a publisher, all that good stuff. But um, right. it's a memoir. It's entitled A Daughter's Truth. And I love that you're sharing this with the world. And what I love most about it, Stephanie, um, if I could say just one thing I, I think is the most is this kind of book not only can give hope to the children, it can give hope to the parents too. Because when words get shared where it shows the dynamics and the delving and the challenges and the places that you come to, it inspires. Everybody tends to go, Okay, well, that's only for this person. And I've encouraged many, many people. In fact, when I get a new client, 
I typically send them a couple of copies of my book and I say, I don't know if your spouse will be open to this, but you might have them read it as well. I also always send a recommended reading list for their spouse uh, simply because this isn't a singular journey. And when you, when you talked about, you know, the singular stuff, I'm like, I get exactly where she's going here because there is no singular. This is a bigger picture. And um, I'm excited that you're sharing this with the world. So thanks for what you're doing. And thanks for being willing to be that voice and share yourself, even when at times I'm sure it's quite hard. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. I really appreciate it. And I would love to hopefully have you back once the book's published and we can talk more about that. So. Yeah, love it. Great. Well, thanks for being here today and good luck with everything. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, but that's okay. We're going to be back in just a couple of days sharing more stories, tips, tricks, and wisdom for helping you live your life uncloseted. And you know what? You can share it too. Just take a few moments if you like and if you believe in this podcast and share it with someone you know today. Share it from your phone, go share it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are. Maybe even give us a rating review because you know what? It's all about the planet living their life uncloseted. I'm Rick Clemens, host of the show and the guy who helps you make those big, bold moves. And I hope you never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. Catch you real soon. Take care, everyone.